Father, I pray that you would grant to each and every one of us um, good and sincere hearts that would lay hold fast to your word. I pray that as you speak to us, you would grant us the grace of, of listening well. It's hard work to listen well. We need your grace to do it. May your word be loud. May it cut through all of the data, all of the, the tweets, all of the TikToks, all of the commercials, all of the blog posts, all of it, God, that, that it would come with a different sort of weight for us. God, what every person in this room needs most, whether they came in is so-called veteran Christians, they've been Christians for 50 years, or whether they're here on the invitation of a friend, or maybe they just wandered into this place this morning, God. What every single person needs most is to leave this time more impressed, more confident, more aware of all that Jesus has done, all that he is doing, and all that he promises to do. And so we ask that through the work of the Spirit, you would prepare the soil of our hearts to hear from him, that we might leave and live for him until we get to gather back together next Sunday to celebrate King Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 21, this is God's holy, flawless word. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Suzanne, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. 
Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Feel free to grab a seat. I don't know who is the first person to say this, but I think it gives a helpful summary of what's happening in this text. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. This sort of like, how is it that two people or multiple people can hear the exact same words, the exact same message, but have such varied responses? This parable of, of a sower, in the context here, it's Jesus, and, and connected to that is anybody like Jesus, that then spreads the, the sea, which is the word of God, as Jesus defined. So it's anybody who opens up the Bible and talks about the Bible, and then you have these hearers. You have these four different types of soils and really four different types of responses. The same sun, the same truth, the same message lands on every heart differently, and the outcomes are very different. This parable, if you went down to verse 18, you see why Jesus taught it. There's something he wants us to take away from this. Let me read verse 18 to you again. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Take care then how you hear. Um, One of the great joys of my life is getting to preach the Bible and teach the Bible. I love the word of God. And it is a gift and a privilege that that you afford to me to be able to, to preach. And you're all very kind and you're nice. You send me very nice emails and, and write me notes of encouragement. And I take each of those emails and I have a little folder called encouragement and I file them away there. And I have a box of notes that are encouragement. And something that's not uncommon is on a Sunday after a service is, is we're talking and hanging out. As people are heading out, they'll all often hear this, thank you for preaching. And my response, if you've ever said it to me, is often something like this, thank you for listening. Preaching is weighty work, it, it's, it's effort, and, and, I, and, I, and I work at it hard, but you know what, so is listening. I would suggest to you that actually listening well, is, it might be harder than, than preaching or speaking or teaching, and this text isn't focused actually on the sower, the, the one speaking, as much as the hearer. It's not even focused on what they're saying, the seed that goes out. That's important for sure. We're going to talk about that, but actually how, how you hear, how do you approach this? How do you come into a, a Sunday? How do you go into reading your Bibles if you read them throughout the week? How do you go into a gospel community where you're going to interact on the word of God? How do you go into family devotions or, or, or other places where the Bible comes out of friendships around a table in a coffee shop? Where, how are you listening the posture of your heart before the word of God will make a massive difference in what actually happens and is produced in your life. We see different listeners here and there's debate like are all four soils, are they four different types of, are they four different people? Are they four different ways that someone, an individual can respond? Um, and, And I don't know if I can clear that up, but what I would say is all four represent a different type of hearing with very different outcomes. Some of them hear in such a way that it brings life and fruit, and flourishing. There's another type of hearing that brings death, or, or, or it brings a lack of impact. 
or a lack of stability. So Jesus says, take care then how you hear, for everything follows from that. We're going to look at why, listen, try to give you a number of reasons of why to, to really clue in, to really say, oh, I got when this, when this is open, when this is open, it really matters how I come to it. Try to give you some reasons for why. We're going to talk about how, I'll give you four hows, like practical things that we can do to try to, to cultivate a good and an honest heart to receive the word in a way that bears fruit. But I do want to start with what? What are we listening to? Um, during the coronation of a British monarch, so when a king or a queen is being coronated, installed as the king or queen, the moderator of the, the Church of Scotland walks forward holding a Bible and says these words as they extend it out to this new king or queen. They say, this book is the most valuable thing this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. And upon handing this, now they're king or queen. This is the most valuable thing that you can lay hold of in this entire world because it's God's word. Love this um, this facility. I don't remember the first time I saw this. I think we'll throw a slide up here. This is the Svalbard Global Seed Vault. Um, I'm sure I mispronounced that. It's Norwegian, so good luck for me. Um, but it's really cool. I just think it's super cool looking. If you go find some pictures, it's just stunning. But all you see is the tip of what it actually is. This is it's, uh, built into in the northern Norway. It's, uh, uh, this, this is just the entrance into what becomes this massive vault, this massive cellar that's been dug out of a permafrost mountain to do one thing, to protect seeds. What happens is people take seeds, different strains, different crops, different, different you know, things that produce medicinal value for human flourishing, and they put backups of those seeds in this vault to try to keep them safe in case war breaks out somewhere, in case there's famine that comes, in case there's natural disasters that wipe out whole crops of seeds that maybe have been engineered to, to produce better, to be drought resistant, whatever it is, so that humans can flourish. So the Norwegian government invested millions and millions of dollars years ago to do this. They spend millions of dollars to maintain it, to improve it, and to allow people to put seeds in this place because they know how precious seeds are, that in every seed is the potential for life. You think about like a, a kernel of corn, just one kernel of corn. I th- I'm guessing, I'm not, much a, I'm not a farmer at all. But my, my assumption here is that eventually you could take that one, cultivate it correctly, and plant entire fields with it. There's so much potential for life. They know the value of a seed, and so they treasure it in this vault. They lay hold fast of it. How much more this? How much more precious these lively oracles of God, the very word of God. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 says this. So just give you a couple of passages. This is is the Bible's self-commendation to us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Just the fact that it's true alone in a world of so many competing, changing statements. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And listen to the impact. Listen to the fruit bearing that it does, that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, if we took just this passage, if I just took this Luke 8, and I tried to take what happens in these other soils to say, like, this is how precious this is, this word of God. We might say it like this. The word of God is so precious that Satan wants to steal it. So powerful that it can bolster you to thrive in any trial, no matter how heated it gets. So purifying that it provides freedom from being anxious, you know, the cares of this present life, or, or being consumed by a craving for the riches or the pleasures of this life. So that's the why. So here's the why. Let me give you a few whys. Like why we want to take care then how we hear. One of the things that follows this, you'll bear fruit. That's the big punchline on this text, that you'll, you'll bear fruit. And Jesus uses the reference, a hundredfold of fruit. He's saying you're going to get out more than you put in. That the things that come out of your life will be more than you put in. We could say generally speaking, what's the type of fruit? What's the harvest we can expect? Well, we could say things like the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and something our world needs desperately right now, gentleness. What your spouse and your friends want you to grow in, self-control. That it might grow and be present in ever abounding amounts. You go down in the text of verse 21, we would say that part of the fruit is this, it's obedience. It's, it's looking more like Jesus and doing what Jesus says and living the way he wants us to live. But if I did a contrast again with the three soils that are here, that, that go before the good soil and give a, give kind of a flip them and say, what would be there if it was good soil? I, maybe I'd put it this way. Here's, I'll give you three things that this fruit bearing does. It's belief in salvation. And it's a resilient joy that lasts. And it's an undistracted, productive faith. I'll take both of those in order. This belief in salvation, we see this in verse 5 and then the interpretation in verse 12. Jesus says the seed, it, it's like that that goes out and it's, it's cast out by the farmer and it goes onto this, this hard-packed soil, so much so that it just sits there on top and the birds, they come and they eat it. It says this is like people that hear the word of God and they don't receive it. They don't believe it and so they're not saved. Now, the seed is the word of God, but specifically, the thing it's pointing to is what's known as the gospel, this story, this, this, this good news announcement of the victory of Christ to take any who are far off, any who have rebelled, any that have sinned, any that have scoffed at God, ignored God, maligned God, were indifferent to God, that Christ came to, to live the life they were meant to live, to die the death that we all merited under the wrath and judgment of God, to go to the tomb, to rise from the dead, to new life, and anybody can get in on this, not through doing but through believing. And as this message is sent out, it's like seeds that are being cast. And what kind of heart is it going on? See, at this time, in this culture, the fields were often pretty narrow. And what they would do is they would walk paths in between the fields. And as they walked these paths, what would happen is that ground would get really, really, really hard. And so as that seed fell on that ground, then the birds would just come after and say, mine, mine, mine. Easter, a number of years ago, I was... Uh, I really, frankly, I was pleading with people to come to faith. It's like the news is so good. 
oh, you're so much more sinful. I'm so much more sinful than I dare imagine, but in Christ, I'm so much more loved and his forgiveness is so sure. We're talking about death and life and I'm, and I'm, I'm, plead, I'm pleading with the room and one of my buddies who's a non-Christian came to that service and he's sitting and I'm pleading and he looks at me and he starts doing this. <laughs> It made me laugh, actually, just so for what it's worth. I don't know how you want it. But he, he began to mock me. And, and so because I know him really well and he's messing with me, what I, what I did is I, I was starting to laugh, but it was a very inappropriate moment of the service t- to laugh. So I put my head down and I just kind of chuckled to myself, but it looked like I was sobbing. So it kind of added <laughs> to the effect. But it is sorrowful. Because life is being offered. It's just bouncing off a rock. Take care then how you hear. For salvation will follow. Then resilient joy, verse 6, gets this picture of of seed being thrown out. And in Palestine at this time, you'd have many areas that would look like, um, like healthy soil. So there'd be like a thin layer of soil, but it was on a bedrock. And so what would happen is the seed would go into it, and it would begin to grow quickly because it was so warm. That seed would germinate very fast and something would come up, but because it's also very hot, it didn't have the root system to tap into water to to continue to feed it, and it would just begin to shrivel. It's saying some people are like that. They hear the truth. They hear, oh, I'm a sinner in need of grace. Oh, look at Christ. Oh, I need hope. Look at Christ. Oh, I need wisdom. Look to Christ. And something happens, and there's like an emotional response. It's yes, but the roots don't go deep enough. And so when hard times come, they fall away. Trials and tests are guaranteed in this life. Some people make it well through them, and some don't. The same circumstances with very different outcomes. When that happens, you know, the the idea of this text is the way to have the word of God go into your life in such a way that it will create a resilience and a joy that circumstances can't take. Trials don't have to destroy you. They can strengthen you. There's this, um, I think it was built in Arizona in 1987. I think it took like four or five years to build, but it's called Biosphere 2. Um, Biosphere 1, I think, is the Earth, and Biosphere 2 is supposed to basically be like a mini planet Earth, and it's this, this basically giant um, greenhouse, you know, multiple, multiple football field size, and the idea inside is they're able to control the environment to replicate what happens all over the earth in different ecosystems and sub-ecosystems, and they brought animals in, plants in, and they sealed people into it to kind of see what would happen in this environment without any of the external influences on it. And there's a number of fascinating things that came out of Biosphere Two, um, there's also a number of things that didn't go the way they wanted to, a bunch of different things, one of which was this. One of the issues was trees. Trees in Biosphere 2 grew really, really quickly. They had you know, architected the soil. They made sure everything had the right nutrients. They made sure that it got the right appropriate amount of moisture and the right temperatures. And so they would grow very quickly in this environment, so quickly, in fact, that they got too big and began to just fall over. And here's, they had, they had everything they needed. They had the right soil conditions. They had the right water. They had the right nutrients. But they didn't have this wind. There was no wind in the biosphere. They had none of the adversity, none of the trials, none of the, the, the forces working against these trees as they grew like we do in, outside of Biosphere 2. And one of the things that happens is trees, to be healthy, need adversity. They need trials. They need strain. 
is wind hits a tree. What happens is that it, it, the, the trunk, it kind of loosens up the soil a little bit underneath it. The roots begin to dig down deeper because it forces it not just to grow up, but to grow down and to grow wide. The, the, the wind actually, as it works against trees, some, some scientists have found that like even the fibers of the trees, they begin to they kind of organize and architect themselves differently to become more resilient, to become stronger. So Christians need too. That's what humans need too, is this sort of adversity. See, trials aren't meant to destroy you. God actually uses them to help you grow and be resilient. Um, I'll give you a real life picture of this. Uh, our friends, Matt and Chrissy Kerber, we were in seminary with them. They were having their first baby. This is 20 years ago. I know I've shared it, but it was, it's so memorable to me. It's such an illustration of this. They're having their first baby, and as their son was being born, he had a stroke in the birth canal. And so they called us, and, and, and we raced down to the, to the neonatal ICU where they were. And I remember, you know, you, you gown up to try to keep any other germs away. And I remember walking into this room with two new parents and their son. They're not sure if he'll live. They're not sure if he, if he lives. What, what's the long-term consequences? What's going to I mean, this is some serious heat. This is some blazing hot, hardest stuff you go through sort of heat. And I walk in the room. And I still remember there's the, their son is sitting there in an, in an incubator and, you know, all sorts of tubes, all sorts of things attached. And then my friend Matt. And he's sitting in a rocking chair next to his son and he's reading a book. He's reading a book and the title is All Things for Good. It's this book written, I believe it was by Thomas Watson, and it's from one verse of the Bible. It says, for we know that for those that, are, that love God have been called according to his purposes, he works all things together for good. A son in the neonatal ICU, a son that might make it or not make it. Oh, it doesn't mean you're smiling, but, but there's, a, there's a joy that's untakeable because you know that God is, because, because he had spent his life, he'd spent years, I mean, he, you know, I don't know, at the time he might have been 25, 26, 27, I don't know. To give you a, a picture of his type of, um, dis, his type of devotion to the Lord, I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but I was blown away when he told me before he proposed to his, his wife, his, at that time his girlfriend, he fasted for 40 days. God, am I supposed to do this? That's someone who is sad at the word of God with a, with a good and honest heart and let the truth of his word saying that, oh, no matter how broken it is, I'm still good, I'm still sovereign, I'm still with you, and I know hard stuff happens. Those that can say, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world, that somehow death is dead, and, and my son, whether, I, whether he lives or he dies, I know God is still good somehow through tears. I mean, that, that, is, a, that is a joy that is grander than just a surface level hearing of the word of God. Take care then how you hear and the rest will follow. Let me give you another one. An undistracted, productive faith. Right, the picture of this is some seed goes out and, and it begins to grow, but then the, there's like thorns that are with it and it, and it, and it chokes out the, the harvest. It, the, and Jesus says what these are, the cares of this world and the riches of this world and the the pleasures of this world that have a tendency, they're not unimportant, but they have a tendency to become too important. Typical Monday night in my family, could be Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, basically any night, um, any day that ends with Y. Um, after, yeah, that's all of them. Um, it's usually after work, but before dinner is I'll sit on the couch and I turn the news on and then I grab my iPad and I pull up a news feed, and I have my iPhone, 
And what I do is I sit there and I'm, I'm watching the news and I'm scrolling through the news and then I'm answering text messages and I'm also replying to emails, trying to get my inbox to be empty before um, we have dinner, before we do the next, you know, before the next day starts, all these things. And what happens though in my living room is my kids will come in, my wife will come in, and I'm sitting there looking at the news and I'm looking at the news and I'm looking at my phone. I'm, I'm kind of in multiple spots and I'll ask a question like, hey, how was your day? And they'll begin to tell me. And they talk and they talk and they talk and say, so dad, what do you think? And I'm like, huh? What? I, I, sorry, I was distracted. I'm sure you never do this. So the only solution for me is I have to say, here, will you take my iPad and I close my eyes, would you hide it? You know, it's like I, I'm, I'm gonna be so distracted by it and I miss out on what's around me. I, how often when you, you know, if you're somebody who wakes up or at the evening or at lunch or whatever, you open your Bibles and there's just so many distractions. So many not- notifications. Oh, I got to return that. Oh, you know, how many times on a Sunday it's like, oh, okay, we got to we got to shop afterwards. We got we we did a click list order. Fred Meyer's only going to hold my groceries until one. Rob needs to hurry up and finish the sermon so I can get there. <laughs> you know, it's like there's there's just so many things vying for our attention. Oh, there's that exam we have to study for. There's that thing we have to train for. There's that competition coming up. There's that there's that interview that's that's. Com- I get it. But sometimes those cares have such a, such a way of getting in there and, and, and creating a barrier to even hearing the word of God. It becoming so consuming that we can't wait to just get done with the Bible so we can get into the other things or, or the making of money or the pursuit of pleasure. This sort of distracted heart. May I give you a way of, of applying this? We did a six-week series back in the fall, so just a few months ago, called Net Worth. We talked about money and possessions and God's design for stewardship We hit a number of really big points, some of these direct quotes from Jesus, things like this. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You cannot serve God in money. I love Randy Alcorn talking about storing up treasure in heaven. He says, he says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. We talked about the biblical pattern of give, save, spend. We covered big principles like God created a material world for us to enjoy. God gives material blessing as a gift from him and money and possessions are simultaneously one of the primary things that can turn our hearts away from God or we could say from this text, choke out our fruitfulness, okay? So we covered all these things just a few months ago. Let me ask you this question. We covered a lot of ground. What's different in your life? Like right now. If you were here, what's different now? Now my assumption is for some, probably a lot. For some, more confirmation and affirmation of how they're living. For some, some changes. For some, no changes. See, we get so distracted so fast, we're so quick to, to forget the stuff that we hear because we don't do what this text says, we don't lay hold of it fast. You know, if you ever hear the stats, like if you go to a conference, and stuff like if you don't do something within 24 hours, you're like, likely to not change anything. It's no different than when we confront the word of God or maybe the word of God confronts us. Take care how you hear. Everything follows. So you bear bear fruit. Um, It's a big why. I'm I'm camped out here. We're gonna do the hows very quickly. Um, I'll give you a couple more. You'll not only keep what you have, but you'll actually grow stronger. That's part of Jesus' point in verse 18 where he says, um, those who, who have, they've laid, laid hold of this, they're actually gonna get more of it. 
while those that haven't, they're going to lose the little bit they have. There have been different stretches in my life um, where I've lifted weights consistently. Um, you know, multiple times a week, uh, for years, uh, going with a plan, like I'm ready to go, I'm committed to doing it, I do it time and time again, and unsurprisingly, during those seasons of my life, I was in better shape and I was stronger. This may come as a shock to you, but I have not lifted weights in like eight years. So it's been a long time since I've actually picked up a weight. Um, a few months ago, I decided to try again. I have everything in my garage. I have all the weights in my garage. I got a place to do squats. I can do pull-ups. I got a bench. I got a BOSU ball. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that, but I got a BOSU ball. I got a rower. I got an Olympic bar. I have all these weights to do all this stuff. So I was like, all right, I'm in. I'm doing it again. So I put some weights on. And I tried to lift it. And I said, I'm done. And I just walked away. I just walked away. I've just, I've just lost so much strength. And the motivation to work out now just goes down and down and down and down. Because I know the road to get back is so difficult. Jesus is saying, use it or lose it. Get the word of God in you in such a way that it's, that it's a reality. Or else there's a point at which it's just going to fail. I got everything I need. Right now, here's, here's the danger with that, too, is most days look like me going into the garage, opening up the garage door, and walking by the weights. And then get in my car, leave. I park my car, walk back by the weights. I'll go months on, and I don't even notice them anymore. How often does that happen? The Bible stays closed. And we kind of like, ah, I really should open it. I really should prepare my heart. But you walk by it, and you walk by it, and it's like you almost don't even know. Let me give you a caution, and oh, I know so many. If I bring the reality of this room and the hearts that I don't, and my own life, like, man, this room is full of people that are cultivating good soil by God's grace for the reception of God's word. But let me give you a caution from John Piper. this, This really impacted me, and how we think even about Sundays, or you think about any time you're opening the word. He says this. Don't be cavalier in the hearing of God's word week after week. If it is not softening and saving and healing and bearing fruit, it is probably hardening and blinding and dulling. Take care how you hear. Everything else will follow. Give you one more why. Do this quickly. Um, you're not just bear fruit. You won't just get stronger and believe more. Um, one of the things that will happen is you'll actually know that you believe. One of the things that happens as you bear fruit is you actually know that you believe. You know that you've believed and been saved. And this is partly what we see at the very end of what I read where Jesus' mother and brothers come and they want to see him. And what does Jesus say? He's like, hey, Jesus, your mom's here. Your, your brothers are here. And he says, this is my mother and my brothers, those who hear the word of God and do it. See, Jesus is drawing a a big connection between hearing and then obeying. Now, he's not saying this is how you're saved and this is how you're forgiven and this is how you're made right with God. That only happens through trusting in the work of Jesus alone. But what it's saying is when that happens, something's going to come out of your life. I love how Matthew Henry says it. That which distinguished the good ground from the rest was, in one word, fruitfulness. He does not say, now, and so there's some fruit, there's something coming, and that's a way of saying, okay, I know that I belong. Now, I want you to hear this. This is really helpful. He does not say that this good ground has no stones in it or no thorns. 
but there were none that prevailed to hinder its fruitfulness. I love that because it's not saying that there's nothing. It's not saying that, oh, the ground is so perfect, there's never stones in it, and there's never weeds that grow up, and that Jesus actually helps us out in Matthew 13 where he says the same parable. In, in that one, he says there's 100-fold for some, and there's 60 for some, and there's 30-fold for some. That sometimes the fruit might look different than someone else, but what he's saying is, is there fruit? If there is, then you can believe that the word of God has gone into soil that believes. God's word going into good soil makes a massive difference. All right, we'll do, I'll do this quickly. Um, let me give you the how. I'll give you four of these. Let me give you what I believe is the most important one, the one that will make the biggest difference for you and for others. Ask for it. This is the big how. Ask for it. We see a nod in this text of asking. Um, Jesus tells the parable, and then in verse 9, his disciples come to him and say, we don't get it. Could you help? Can you explain it? We can do the same thing. We can sit there and say, God, would you give me good soil? God, would you give me a heart that's humble before your word? God, would you give, uh, your word is boring to me. God, would you make me hungry for it? We can do the same for other people that we want to have the word of God implanted in them. That's one of the reasons, God, would you change their heart? Would you, would you make it open to your truth? We see this throughout the Bible. I'll just give you one passage, Psalm 1918. You hear this request to ask for it. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. It's why we pray before a sermon. It's not just a transition. It's not just a, a, a preface. It's saying, God, we, we, we can, every person in this room can understand this parable, the details of it. Okay, the seed's the word, the sower's Jesus, the different soils, people that hear it and their different responses. But the thing that goes from listening to hearing, but going from really knowing the details to believing them is the work of God. And so we ask for it. We say, God, would you give me a good and honest heart that wants to lay hold and believe? And would you help me where I disbelieve? Okay, ask for it. Work at it. Work at it. Psalm 119, 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Both of those pieces, I love it. God, make me believe your truth. Overwhelm my stubborn resistance. Till the soil of my unbelieving soul or numb soul or dull soul. I love that. God, would you do this? Would you make me see it? And then, but you see, it's, it's grace. But then you hear this and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Grit. You ask for it and you work at it. You need both. Um, I love this line from R.C. Sproul. And I'm quoting him because it's for sure a rebuke towards us. You can take it up with him. Um, Here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. Again, I didn't say it. I'm just quoting him. I'm, I'm just reading what he <laughs> said. Um, but that we're lazy. Now, I get it can be boring, but you know what? It doesn't stay boring if you do the work. It doesn't. It doesn't stay uninteresting. It doesn't stay confusing. It doesn't mean you understand every single part of it perfectly, but oh my goodness, when God makes his words sing to you, you will come alive to him. But it does take work. It's grace and it's grit. 
I didn't realize this um, until this last week. I think it was Thursday. I did not realize that 60% of the, rad, the red raspberries that are made in the United States are made in Washington State. I did not realize that almost all of those are made within like two or three miles of Linden. That blew me away. So all of the raspberries, the best, the most delicious, wonderful raspberries are made right here in Whatcom County, right around Linden. You got to ask the question, why? Why are they all made there? Why, are they, why do they thrive there? Well, the soil's conducive for it. The weather's conducive for it. For sure, that's grace. That's God's grace to produce a, uh, an area to grow something like this. But you know why else they, they, they get produced? You know why else there's a harvest? A whole lot of grit. When you drive by a farm, what do you see? Work. You don't see people sit, like you'd never, like I don't know if, I don't know if they ever sleep. I don't think farmers ever sleep. I, I, I don't, they're just eating raspberries all day long, just getting all their energy. Let's go. But they're just work. There's machines working. There's animals working. They're cultivating the soil. They're taking samples. They're trying to improve it. They're constantly doing something, even in like the off season is like when the work really starts. I mean, I don't, I think they get like the third Tuesday of November off. I think that's their day off. It's work. It's work, it's grace, and it's grit that come together to do what? To bring a harvest that's grander than the work that you put in. Take care how you hear. For everything follows. Give you another one. So we ask for it, we work for it, share it. Share it. Look at verses 16 and following. The reason I read all these verses around the parable is they're all connected. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. And the things that are hidden now have come out. Jesus is saying those that have received the word and it's gone down into good soil, now he kind of flips the, the, the metaphor, the imagery. He says they're like lights that have been lit up. And the, the idea with them is now they're not supposed to be hidden, but they're supposed to be seen that they might give light to others. And then he connects back to verse 18, take care then how you hear, because what you have, you'll get more of it. He's saying, here's one of the best ways for the word of God to go deeper in your life and the life of others. Share it, because what it'll do is it'll get the word of God out there, but you know what it also does? It gets the word deeper in here. If you teach in Redeemer Kids, you're about ready to teach second graders. You're going to show up and you're going to teach a Bible lesson. You know, next Sunday you're coming. Here's what I hope you do during the week. You go read the passage. You go read the passage, you pray through the passage, you think through the passage, you personally apply the passage because you know if you've ever taught second graders, here's what's gonna happen. They're gonna ask you one question over and over and over again. You better be prepared. They're gonna say, why? And you're gonna tell them and they're just gonna say, why? And they're gonna have a thousand whys. And so you gotta have a thousand answers to their questions. And what it does is it doesn't just get you ready to share the word for them, it actually gets God's word deeper into your life. And this is true if you lead in women's ministry, you speak at a men's ministry event, you're leading your GCs, you're just going to GC and you're gonna engage and interact with other people. The sharing of God's word is one of God's great designs to make it more truthful for you and give you the best place to do it. Eh, it's not the best, they're all great places. Let me give you a place that's very powerful though. Sharing the word of God with people that don't yet know Jesus. Sharing the word of God with non-Christians is one of the best ways to get God's word in you deeper. Um, I, a fortnight ago, I don't, know, I don't know how long ago that was, you know, half the millennium ago when I did work out, I was at a gym. And, um, and I made a friend in the gym. Oh, that's nice. I did. I made a friend at the gym, and he was not a Christian. And over time, he began to ask me why I believed what I believed. And... I said, hey, let's get together and let's just talk. 
you know, I can ask questions, you can ask questions. And so we began to meet, and I recommended, I said, hey, let's, let's read what's known as the Gospel of Mark, the story about Jesus. Let's, let's read it during the week. You read it, and uh, you just write down whatever questions you have. And then when we get together, we'll talk about it. Okay, it did a couple of things for me. Got me praying more, for sure. It got me reading Mark again, for sure. I mean, I love Mark, but, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to talk about Mark. I should probably go read it again. And then when he would come in, he would ask the the greatest questions because he was reading it with fresh eyes, stuff that I haven't thought of in probably ever. He'd say stuff like this, like, Rob. I was like, yeah. So I'm reading it. I'm like, good. Okay. But but it's kind of crazy. I'm like, what do you mean it's crazy? He said, does Jesus actually mean that if my right hand causes me to sin, I'm to chop it off. If my right eye causes me to sin, I'm going to gouge. Does Jesus want me to mutilate myself? I mean, it was, it was it's talking about what we do with sin and how aggressive we go after, but I never thought, like you just don't think about it because you just read and you fly through it. It's one of the best ways to make the seriousness of God's word come alive to you when you've become numb of hearing it. Now, by God's grace, it actually, this text was lived out in our friendship and the seeds of the gospel found good soil and he came to faith. And it confirmed this passage. It said it does happen. Truth goes out. And I can tell you, um, sadly, but in a strange way that's confirming, I can think of many people I've shared the gospel with that have not come to faith. And in some ways it lives out this text. So teach it, share it. Um, Take care how you hear for everything falls. I'll give you one last one. Ask for it's probably the most important. This one's probably the second most important. Wait for it. Wait for it. Let me read to you again um, verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. It can also be translated perseverance. They keep at it. It takes time. It takes time for crops to grow to maturity, to reap a harvest. It takes time for, for Christians to grow to maturity. It takes time for the word of God to become more and more real. It takes time for the roots to go in deep, to have that sort of resilient joy that can handle the neonatal ICU. It takes time. It takes time. It takes adversity. It takes community. And it just takes time. I have lost so much of what I used to have in terms of, so much of what I used to have. I wasn't that but I'm, I'm definitely weaker than I've ever been. Um, but here's what I know without a doubt. If I start, some of you are mocking, yeah, I know you are. Um, if I start lifting again, over time, I'll get stronger. Not what I used to be, although kids, I got old man strength, so don't mess. Um, but, but, but I will get stronger. But it takes time. It's not going to be fast. Jesus guarantees it. You Cultivate this soil. Ask for it by his grace. Get after it by your grit. And the harvest that will come will be grander and greater than what you put in. I promise. Take care how you hear. The rest will follow. Let's pray. Lord, give us ears to hear and honest and good hearts that hold fast to your word and never let go. Grant us the patience it takes to bear fruit. Keep the evil one far from us that he might not take your word away, steal it, or twist it. Grant us deep roots of faith that when testing comes, it would strengthen, not destroy us. 
Do not let the cares, the riches, or pleasures of this world choke out your word by becoming too distracted or those things becoming too alluring. Convince us of the power of hearing rightly and the promise that you will produce way more than we put in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We're gonna respond as we do every single week as the band comes forward. We're gonna sing a few songs together, but really the focus of what we're doing is to receive communion. In this room, there's four stations set up. There's two in the back, a single-serve communion for those that are more comfortable there. And then in the front here on this side, there is wine and bread. And then on this side, there is juice and bread. But each of these places, what they represent is more important than the place that you go. They all represent the body of Christ given and the blood of Jesus given. And this is offered to anyone. What we're doing is putting this text into practice right now. Saying the gospel has been declared, the work of Christ to come and pay for the sin of all who would trust in him, to wear the wrath of God for all that deserve it, to take those that are far off, that can never earn their way, perform their way to God, that Christ has come to claim them and for them. And so as you go to this table, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I believe that. Saying, God, give me, give me a heart that's receptive to that. And help that truth go deeper into me. And so the only barrier in this church to going to this table is receiving. It's believing. It's saying, I have run from God. I deserve to not be welcomed by God. But because Christ has come to me and has been rejected for me, I come in his work, in his name alone. And if that's the case, then go to this table. And take these elements and redeclare the truths that make us right with God and let that feed you and fuel you. That those roots would go deeper as you leave this place, you would know without a doubt that you are saved in Christ Jesus. Go to this table as you feel led.